Like I can't sell all over the world. I can't even sell all over Georgia. I can't drive five hours to Atlanta to meet meet a client. So I was trying to figure out, okay, all these things that they're teaching us, how can I apply that to my little itty bitty business? But at the beginning I was thinking, there's like, there's just not that many people that want to buy or sell a house in Savannah at any one given time. This channel is not going to explode where I'm making like $100,000 a month on ad revenue. But that wasn't really the goal. The goal was to find the people that say, I would like to sell my house and I need a real estate agent. And I would like for you to be the one to represent. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show. I'm your host, Taylor Lote. And today our guest is Karen Carr. And today you're going to learn how Karen innovated by using YouTube to grow her real estate business. We get into the details about how you don't need a YouTube channel with a million subscribers in order to make it very lucrative for your real estate business. And we dig into how she grew on YouTube, what she focuses on on YouTube, and really we also get into the back end of how to put out content, how to hire people, how to think about your content, which is very important. And also how to turn your leads, how to turn your videos into leads and how to turn those leads into revenue for your business. It's a great conversation. We don't, in my mind, we don't see enough utilization of YouTube for niche audiences and niche videos. So we're digging into that today. Very relevant for real estate investors and specifically realtors out there. And we have a few of you guys who listen to this podcast. She is a realtor and that's how she applied it to her business. But the principles remain across the real estate investing spectrum, you can use YouTube to grow your business if you think about it and implement it properly. And today, that's what you're going to learn. Great conversation. Really had a great time talking with Karen and I learned a lot and I'm sure you will as well. I'm your host, Taylor Lode. I'm a real estate investor and I help busy people passively invest in commercial real estate, specifically multifamily and self-storage properties. If you'd like to learn more about what I do and potentially learn about investing with us as well, just go to investwithtaylor.com. Schedule a call with me and I'll look forward to speaking with you soon. If you're an Apple Podcast user and you enjoy the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys, that gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, our guest is Karen Carr, and we're learning about how YouTube works for real estate investors. I love it. You're going to learn a lot. Without any further ado, here we go. Karen, thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. If you would, please tell us about yourself and your background. I'm looking forward, really looking forward to our conversation today and learning about how you're you're innovating with YouTube. Thank you. Well, I am a real estate agent, have been since 2005, and I started moving around a lot, not really by choice. We were in Northern California during the height of the market and then the following up crash in 2007, 8, 9, 10, 11, decided to move cross country to be closer to my parents. So we moved to the Hilton Head, South Carolina area. They lived in Savannah. Hilton Head is right across the border. So we lived over in that area, really enjoyed it a lot, just had gotten my real estate license in South Carolina, took some time off to, you know, get situated and move into the house and get the kids settled in school. And then my husband says, hey, I've been transferred to Atlanta. 
So now we go to Atlanta, which is yet another state and have to get licensed in another state and started working there and thought, nobody knows me here. I have no name recognition. How on earth am I going to get some market share when people look me up on the Georgia Real Estate Commission website and it looks like I just got licensed three weeks ago? Who is ever going to want to take a shot with me if they're thinking that I'm a newbie and I don't know what I'm doing? Because it was really hard the first three years in real estate. So I started a YouTube channel just because I had nothing else to do. And I figured at least I could make videos educating the consumers about the real estate market in the area where I lived, which was like the northwest side of Atlanta Metro, and started making these videos with no consistency, no no plan, no real thought, except, well, I don't have anything to do today. So I'll record a video and I'll put it up on my YouTube channel. And after doing that for quite some time without any plan whatsoever, we moved to Savannah because my husband got transferred again. And so this time I was actually very excited about it because that's where we had wanted to go in the first place. So now we were going to end up in Savannah. I'm still in the same state. Don't have to worry about licensing. And just when I got there, I finally get my first lead from the YouTube channel where they said, I've found your channel. I've been watching all of your videos. I feel like I know you already. We want you to represent us when we buy a house. And after I yelled at them because I had just moved five hours away, you couldn't have called me last month. I help you. No, now I'm all the way across the state. But that idea of, I feel like I know you already really resonated with me. And I thought, Okay, so now I'm in another new area where, again, I know two people, my mom and my dad that live in this town. I will start making videos with a plan and with a content calendar and with a schedule. And I will commit to doing it on a certain day at a certain time. And I'm going to be a little bit more mindful about the content that I put on this channel. And within three months, I got my first seller lead. A couple of weeks later, I got another seller lead. Then I started getting buyer leads. Within a year, I was so busy, I had to form a team. So the long and the short of it is YouTube was an amazing vehicle for reaching my ideal customer avatar, if you will, which then has become like that is really all that we do. We make YouTube videos. We post on our website. That's all of the outbound marketing that we do. And all of our clients come to us. I love it. I love that you're embracing the new era. And I'd also love to ask, in that initial process, when you were just getting started, didn't really have a have a plan, but hey, you gave it a shot, which I think is the most important part. Then eventually you got to the point where you did develop a plan and a strategy and a calendar and all that. How much content had you put out kind of learning the ropes, learning how to do it, learning, getting comfortable, be, comfortable being on camera and all those things before you really kind of figured things out? What was that, I guess, you know, driving, accelerating down the runway, but you're not quite taking off yet, but you're learning, you're building up momentum, right? How much of of that was there? Oh, maybe 15 or 20 videos. It was, it was a, a fair amount, but it wasn't like three videos a week for a year, nothing mm-hmm. like that. I'd say it was probably somewhere in the 15 to 20. And I tried all kinds of different things. I tried recording in my car because back then that was like the thing. You would sit in your driveway and record in the car and it was very informal. Um, I did that a lot. I did things where it was a like a PowerPoint presentation where I was sharing my screen, but my face was not on camera at all. I tried 
going to neighborhoods and giving them a tour of the neighborhood where my phone was in a suction cup on my dashboard pointing out through the windshield. But again, I was not on camera. Then I tried some where I was more face to camera and I was trying to talk to the audience and let them get to know me. So I did a lot of just trying different things to see what would work and what was most effective. Okay, interesting. So when you did start building your calendar and your strategy and being more intentional about that, how did you know what to do or how did you figure out, hey, I need to maybe be a little more deliberate? with this. It was called the University of YouTube. Like seriously, the best training in the whole world is on YouTube and it's totally for free. And I watch, I think I did a search for something like how to use YouTube to drive traffic to a website or something along those lines. And I started finding all of these people with YouTube channels where this is what they teach. They teach people how to have a YouTube channel that is to get business. It's not just to go viral and become famous. It's to actually get paying customers to your business. So I started following people like Daryl Eves and Owen Video and Sonny Leonard Doozy and Nick Nimmin and all these people that had channels. And the majority of them were talking about how to make this YouTube channel that will just explode and you're making tons of money off of ad revenue. But not a lot of people were talking about if you have a very small, hyper-local business, do you have a brick-and-mortar store? Do you have a real estate business where you sell in a specific geographic area? That's it. Like, I can't sell all over the world. I can't even sell all over Georgia. I can't drive five hours to Atlanta to meet a meet client. So I was trying to figure out, okay, all these things that they're t- teaching us, how can I apply that to my little itty bitty business where I'm not going to have an audience of hundreds of thousands of people? I will be like right now we have a a subscriber count of about 15,000, which thrills me to pieces. But at the beginning, I was thinking there's like, there's just not that many people that want to buy or sell a house in Savannah at any one given time. This channel is not going to explode where I'm making like $100,000 a month on ad revenue. But that wasn't really the goal. The goal was to find the people that say, I would like to sell my house and I need a real estate agent. And I would like for you to be the one to represent me. Great. I mean, I, I love that goal. And I think there, the, the space for people who are aiming to have a million views per video and hundreds of thousands of, or millions of subscribers is a lot more crowded than, than the niche market. And everybody's going after that ad revenue. Now, I want to dig a little bit into the problems with YouTube. I love YouTube. I watch YouTube videos all the time. We don't have TV cable service at my home. We watch YouTube and Hulu and all those kinds of things to you know keep ourselves busy. But I have a YouTube account and I've run into to issues, right? We put our audio out on, on YouTube. And even though I own the music that we use, I own a license for the music that we use. I, almost every video we put out gets copyright claimed and I have to dispute them. And there's so many issues with being even a, a small content creator. Do, have you run into that? How have you kind of mitigated those those issues and, and dealt with them? It happens to us not very frequently, but I'd say over the course of, you know, five years, it's probably happened 20 times, maybe. You're right. It's super annoying where I have a subscription membership to this particular platform, whether it's Storyblocks or Epidemic Sound, I use Envato Elements. So I have the license to use this music, but the minute you upload it, 
the the algorithm, the bots, it's all automated, identifies this piece of music and says, oh, well, this is attributed to this person who's actually the composer and the performer, and you don't have the right to use it, so copyright claim. And then you have to say, no, I really do have a, a license to use this. Now, if your goal is to get ad revenue, then you have to do the dispute because otherwise you're not going to be able allowed to collect any ad revenue while that claim is in place. If you don't really care about the ad revenue, then you can just leave it there and it's not it's not a problem. So it's just an added step of something that needs to get done. And do you have an assistant who could fight it on your behalf? Because as soon as you prove, I have a subscription service, I'm allowed to use this, they remove it. It's just the nuisance of having to go through that. Yeah, the one that I run into, we use the same music, the intro and outro is different songs, but I do own the a license to to use this music and almost every video they claim it and i say i have a license from such and such to use this music and then they release the claim almost immediately but it's still a hassle it's still something i have to do and just just totally. a pain in the neck and you know what happened to me one time i had a client who wanted to see a model home it was new construction in this very swanky gated neighborhood so i said i'm gonna go over and look at it for you so i walked into the model home i had my phone on a gimbal and they were playing music on the stereo <laughs> in the living room. And I got mm-hmm. a copyright claim. I'm like, I went to an open house and it was music that was playing in the house. Like it's so the only way to get rid of it was to either mute the audio so that he never heard me saying, I'm in the living room and it's about this big and the ceilings are this high. So I just left it there because I didn't care about disputing it. But yeah, it's crazy how that algorithm can immediately identify that piece of music before you're even done uploading it. It's very impressive technology, but I think on the commercial side, if they don't want to lose their best creators, they probably need to refine that a bit because it really, there are a lot of us who are legitimately using the platform and own these licenses, but it's a little ham-fisted in the way they enforce these things. But I don't want to spend too much time on that. You mentioned you got to the point where you needed to build a team to run all of your content, make all your content and all those kinds of things. Can you tell us about that and how you realized you needed to do that for one and then also just the process of building a team who you needed first and second and getting all those roles in place well when i say team i met a real estate team so i was getting all of the leads i was working with all of the buyers and all of the sellers myself and then i was working 80 hours a week and my children forgot what i looked like because i was always gone so (laughs) at that point i said i need a showing assistant So if I have a buyer, this person's going to take them out and show them all of the homes so that I get hours of my day back. Mm -hmm. So I had a showing assistant. I had a transaction coordinator who was doing all of the paperwork once the offer was accepted and we were under contract, somebody doing all of that stuff. Then I got a second buyer's... Well, my showing assistant graduated and became a buyer's agent. Then I got a second buyer's agent. So now I was only representing the sellers and the other two were representing all of the buyers. I did get an editor. So that was something I hung on to for the first year or so. I wanted to do my own editing. And this is such a self-limiting belief, but (laughs) some people that we have, like no one can do it as good as me. No, I know how I want it to be. And if it have to take so long to explain it to someone else, I may as well just do it myself, right? I told myself those stories for a very long time. Finally said, I just don't have the time. So if I don't edit this video, it will not go out on Monday at 9 Mm a.m. And I've already committed Monday at 9 a.m. is the day and time that I'm going to upload my videos. So if I fail to do it, it's not going to get done. And that was just not acceptable to me. 
So I went to Fiverr, Fiverr.com and said, all right, y'all, this is the type of video that I make. And I linked to my channel. I am looking for somebody who can edit these videos for me. I will give you raw footage that will be somewhere between 10 and 20 minutes long. I want you to edit the video down. The final product will probably be somewhere between eight and 12 minutes long. You're going to take out all of my mistakes. You're going to put in the lower thirds. You're going to add the music in the background. How much would you charge me to do this once a week, every single week, forever and ever? And all of these people presented me with their offers. And then I went and looked at all of, well, I chopped out immediately the people that were like, 250 a video. I said, <laughs> <laughs> you're so funny. Yeah, no way. So the people that were in the price point that I felt was reasonable, mm -hmm. I went and looked at examples of their work. And then I picked somebody and she was a stay-at-home mom in the UK who did phenomenal work. And so she edited all of my videos for a very long time until she started raising her prices and she had more clients and limited availability for me. Then I ended up hiring my own virtual assistant and said, I want you for 10 hours a week. I think it was the beginning. And then it went up to 20 hours a week. And, and it was like, I'm going to give you all of the videos that I make. And because this one person learned my style, they knew my colors, they knew the hex codes, they knew the logos, they knew everything. I really didn't have to give her any instruction after a while. It was pretty much, here's my video, go do it. And they would just send back the, the finished product that was great. So it was really, really, really helpful to get that off of my plate. And as soon as I did it, I realized, A, I'm a crappy editor. Like, here <laughs> I thought, oh, nobody can do it as well as I can. Oh, yeah, they can. They could do it 10 times better than I could. And they did it in half the time. So far better product, half the time, which then freed me up to do the revenue generating activities. And editing my video is not a revenue generating activity. Meeting with the client is, neg negotiating the offers is, right? Putting out more content is a revenue generating activity, but editing it so that it can have exactly the right branding that was not a good use of my time. So I held on to that too long. I should have gotten rid of that sooner. Nice. That in, in my business, that has helped me immensely as well. And I had this very similar or same limit, self-limiting beliefs around, you know, editing this podcast. I did probably 100, 120 episodes myself. It was, a, and it's painful to listen to yourself. I don't know whether you ran into this, but listening to yourself, watching yourself, it, it, it hurts, right? I think we all, most of us kind of, kind of hate it, but once I handed it off, we were able to, you know, continue to scale the real estate business that could focus on the the important thing. So very, very important, uh, important thing to do. How about deciding on what content to put out? How do you make decisions around, you know, remaining creative and, and relevant and, and really valuable? Because I think there's a lot of fluffy content out there. You know, generally, there's just a lot of, a lot of fluff. How do you keep it high quality and, and relevant? Well, what I discovered was if I was going to be very broad and just talk about like, what is the housing market in the United States doing, that that was a crowded space. And there are people that have hundreds of thousands, if not millions of subscribers already, like Graham Stephen, I'm not going to be able to compete with that guy. He's got this huge channel and then there's little old me. So I decided I needed to niche down and mine was going to be People in the military who are moving to Savannah because they just got orders to go to Hunter Army Airfield. And when they get those orders, 
they're, they immediately go to Google because they're like, Savannah, where the heck is that? Like, what is there to do there? How much is it going to cost me to live there? They don't know anything about it. Like, I've heard of Atlanta, but where's Savannah? I don't really know. And my husband is retired Air Force, so that was our thing. You know, I, I shop at the commissary. I go to the, the medical clinics on post. I, I live that life. So I figured if I were speaking directly to that consumer... A, I have the credibility because I'm using all the acronyms. They know that I know what I'm talking about when I say, oh, you're PCSing and, you know, all this stuff. They're like, oh, this is somebody who understands our world, our lifestyle. And then I thought, okay, what would they want to know? They just found out that they're coming here. They probably want to know how much does it cost to live there? Could we actually buy a house? Because so many people in the army, like if you're enlisted, you're not making bank. And so they live on post from station, duty station to duty station, they never buy a house. So they're never going to build wealth because they're always basically living in the free housing, which by the way, is usually super crappy. So let's show them, what if they buy a house and they give you the space allowance allowance for housing and it could cover your mortgage payment. So you get zero down because you're getting a VA loan and then your BAH will cover your mortgage payment. You're basically buying a house for free and you get to live there for free. But then when you sell it and you make this big fat profit, you don't have to give it back. You get to keep it. Like it is such an amazing thing. Why don't more people do this? Because they think, well, I'd move every two to three years. So I don't want to be stuck with a house that I can't sell. So I made a lot of videos talking to that specific person. And all of that worked like gangbusters, like (laughs) gangbusters. So pretty much the very first lead I got was a seller who was not in the military. The second lead I got was a seller who was PCSing to Fort Eustace. I think that's in Virginia and needed to sell his house here and then wanted to buy a house when he got there. And then the next one I got was a buyer who was coming to Savannah. He was in the Coast Guard and it just accelerated from there. So I was getting all of these clients who were finding that content because when they do a Google search, guess who owns YouTube? And guess where YouTube videos show up on the first page, Google, for free. So they do their Google search, and maybe the very first thing that shows up is an article on Kiplingers or something. But then the next three things are videos of me. They click on the video, they watch it, they get to know my personality. If they click with me, they're like, oh, my purse, she's very down to earth, she's easy to talk to, she's not intimidating, she's not driving up in her purple Lamborghini acting like <laughs> a land of bag of chips. She seems like somebody, I, I could go meet you at Starbucks and you'd be wearing a sundress and flip-flops and you wouldn't you know, make me feel like a dummy because I'm a first-time buyer and I don't know what I'm doing. So having a niche was really key to having the channel go off the way that it did. Nice. Nice. I love that. So what is, I I wonder about the long tail of a lot of these videos, meaning that at least in my mind, I'm not a YouTuber, even though we have a channel on, I don't really focus on it. I want to, but I haven't gotten there yet. I would imagine videos, they make an initial impact. They probably get most of their views pretty early on. Maybe that's what the algorithm wants, but a lot of your content that you've, you've talked about putting out there, that's going to have value to a viewer in the long run. Cause a lot of those things are you know, about buying a house and all that, that's, that's going to last a while. It's going to be relevant most likely over the next five to 10 plus years. Do you see that, that, that value in the content? Cause you've been doing the, the content for, you know, a number of years now, does algorithm still kind of put that out there and, and, or do you have to keep putting the good stuff out over and over again? Mm, I'm so glad you brought that up because I hear a lot of people that will say, well, I love video on Instagram or I love video on Facebook. Mm. And what I say to that is, 
when you make a video for Instagram or Facebook, it has a shelf life of three to four days at best. So you'll make your video and it'll get this whole flurry of activity and then it just promptly falls off the deep end and you'll never find it again. And even when I would go to Facebook and search for videos that I had made myself, I couldn't find them because they just disappear. It's 100% the opposite on YouTube. They are evergreen content, which is what it means when you just said it will still be relevant and applicable a couple of years down the road. So the time that I spend to make the video now, I actually get more views on the older videos. So I put it out. I do get a whole bunch of views the first couple of days from our subscriber base. And then it goes down a little bit. And then it kind of flatlines for a while. And then all of a sudden, certain videos will get picked up by the algorithm and they just go straight up. And so I have videos that have 50,000 views. They didn't get 50,000 views in the first week. They got a 1,000 views in the first month. And then there was this low And then all of a sudden, the algorithm like, oh, okay, we're going to start promoting this more. And then it's getting three, four, five, six, 10,000 views a month after that. And I don't really know why the algorithm suddenly picks it up. It must be that at that moment in time, there was a lot of search traffic for that long tail keyword, which I used in my video. And because it had been on the channel for a very long time at that point, they said, well, let's see if the audience will like this particular video. And enough people click on it, enough people watch it, that that triggers the algorithm to keep showing it to more and more and more people. So for me, hands down, if you said pick one platform, it's like I will never make another Instagram video again (laughs) if it means that I can put videos on YouTube and I can get leads from them five years from now. Like I had videos I made in 2017 where we get leads every single day from these videos that are five years old. Wow. Wow. How do you, how do you track, you know, where a lead comes from? They watched, you know, video X and then they came to you through that, maybe came to your website through that. Do you get like really granular about it? You absolutely can. At the beginning, it was just, I just, they would call me or send me an email and they usually say, I found your YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I don't know specifically which video, but then once I would get them on the phone, they will start quoting the videos back to me. So in the five good towns video, you were talking about how pooler, you probably don't need flood insurance, but Richmond Hill, you probably do. It's like, holy cow, these people are really paying attention, which is awesome. But my other favorite thing to do is to make some sort of lead magnet. So in that particular video, it's like, how do you know if your house that you're thinking of buying would require that you have hurricane insurance, that you have flood insurance on it? Here's a great resource. Click this link, go to my website, download it for free. And then the only place where I will advertise that free download is on that specific video. Or I might use the same download multiple times, but I give it a different landing page each time. So I can 100% track. Like the only place where I ever talked about this landing page was on video XYZ and it's had 30 downloads. So I know that people are watching that video and then they're taking action and going to that page to download the freebie. So I love being able to track that and see exactly what's effective. Awesome. I would wonder about the, and you you mentioned building your team before, right? So that's going to be relevant to this question, but there's a lot of work that is going to go into making a different carrot for each video that's highly customized, you know, mentioned talking about hurricanes or, or what have you, and only talking about it on one video. That's quite a process on the back end, especially you're making a landing page. There are ways to streamline this, but there's still hours involved or time involved with 
making this happen. Are you at the point where you're handing that work off to your virtual assistant? How are you, how are you handling all that back end? Yeah, I have a couple of virtual assistants that are amazing. So I just try to come up with the idea and then say, you go make it. And <laughs> I still I still fall into this trap of, well, I can just do it myself because I know how to do it. I know how to use lead pages. I know how to use active campaign. I know how to do it. And then I have to literally like smack myself in the head with a frying pan and say, is this the best use of my time? I am now the CEO of this company and we have seven figures in revenue. Should I be making a landing page? No, I should not. And I I catch myself doing that still on a daily basis where it's like, just because I know how to do it does not mean that I am the one that should be doing it. So that is something like I constantly struggle with. It's It's tough because when you're the solopreneur, you teach yourself everything that you need to do in your business. And then it's hard to give your baby away to someone else. And so by hiring people to help me, when I interview them, I tell them flat out, I need you to be a whipcracker. I need (laughs) you to say, stop it. That's why you hired me. Give me that task. Don't be like me can say, you know, anything I could do to help you? No, I need you to be like lay down the law and say, if you're not going to give me anything to do, I'm going to go on vacation and just let you pay me while I'm gone. <laughs> like I need for you to hold my feet to the fire so that I can relinquish a lot of those tasks. Wow. I love it. I, I could ask you so many questions here. I was so curious about the, the thought process. Plus you're, you're, you mentioned being a solopreneur and you're not anymore, right? You're the present, but you're still thinking about coming up with ideas and you still have that go get it, go do it mentality, but you have a team to handle all those things. Yeah. I think it it's tough to do, but once you see the kind of the magic of it, if you will, it's, it kind of makes you more willing to do that in the future, but it's hard to remember yeah. sometimes. Yeah. But it's hard for me to remember, but when it works, it's such a beautiful thing. And then I have to just keep reinforcing myself of C. When you didn't do it, somebody else did it. It usually worked better and there weren't any mistakes. Like how many landing pages have I made where they had a 404 error message because I screwed it up. So let's just say that we outsource it to somebody where that is their core competency and just let them do it. Do you know what program your editor uses just out of curiosity, video editor? I think they're using Adobe Premiere now. Okay. So we were using something called WeVideo, which I discovered from a colleague, and I love it. It's very user-friendly. It's cloud-based, so it doesn't matter whether you're on a Mac or Windows. And I bought a three-user license so that I could record the video, upload it into WeVideo, and then tell my VA who is in the Philippines on a Windows computer to go in there and do the editing. Then she would save it and say, hey, there's a draft ready for you to review. I log in on my Mac in the US and I watch the video and I give her feedback. That worked for us for a very, very long time. But eventually I had so many videos coming out that I worked the poor girl to death and she was like, yeah, I, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to have a nervous breakdown. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go back to college. And at that point, I got a, a company who they, you pay them a flat fee per month and they do all the videos for you. And I'm pretty sure they're all using Adobe Premiere. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Love it. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. The first step to growing your wealth is tracking your wealth, income, spending, and everything else about your finances. You can start tracking your wealth for free and get six free months of wealth advisory with personal capital 
by going to escapingwallstreet.com and using our link. Create your free account today and automate the way you track your money. Personal capital is my preferred way to track my finances, and now we're making that available for listeners. Terms and conditions apply. See the personal capital website for details. Once again, to get the offer, go to escapingwallstreet.com and use our link. Back to the show. All right, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? I am ready. Lay them on me. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? Mm. It is my second rental property that I ever bought. I had actually gone to this man's house to do a listing presentation. And I was telling him, because he lived in Virginia and this was tenant occupied. So the tenant let me in. I did my whole thing. And I was talking to him on the phone and said, all right, the kitchen is a disaster. You really need to replace all of the appliances. She had a leak by the back door. The carpet is trash. You got to replace the flooring. You got to do all of these things. If you sell it as is, it would sell for this much. If you do the repairs, it will sell for this much. And I, as I'm having this conversation with him, it was like, this is a really good investment property. Why don't I just buy it myself? So I said, I have an idea for you. What if instead of you, me charging you 6% and you having to do all of these repairs, which is probably going to cost you about twenty twenty five thousand dollars $25,000, and you're trying to manage this long distance from Virginia, what if you just sell it to me directly? And I will pay you and I will close by the end of the month and I will not ask you to fix a darn thing and you don't have to pay me 6% commission and you'll actually net more and you'll be able to close faster. What do you think about that? And he was like, sold, send me the contract. <laughs> so I was so excited about that because I'd been in real estate for 17 years at this point and I had never done that before. And now it was like, seriously, why did that never occur to me before? And when I lived in California, I really couldn't afford it because the house prices were $500,000. And so I, I couldn't get a loan because at that time they thought you were going to buy and bail, right? It was during the crash. You had to have six months worth of mortgage payments for both properties in the bank before they would even consider giving you a loan. So I never started buying investment properties until I moved to Georgia because it was dirt cheap here and now it wasn't a problem. So this house has been amazing because we bought it for, I want to say 189, something like that. And then we fixed it all up and then COVID hit and then it appreciated in value. And now it's worth probably 250 easy and it cash flows like crazy. Best, best investment property story ever. I love it. Nice. Nice. Well, we had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin. The worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? That would be my principal residence that I bought in 2006 in okay. Northern California. Yeah, yeah, that sucker was not a good investment. So we bought it for 521 and five years later, it was worth 240 Whoa, And what? we finally had to do a short sale because I thought we're going to have to own this house for probably 15 years just to break even. And that's what it ended up being. Like I would go to Zillow and I would look at this estimate and I watched it for years and years and years. And I was like, it's still upside down. That house, if we still owned it, it's been 10 years and it's still upside down. And it didn't finally surpass the 521 value until like a year and a half ago. So it really sucked to have to do the short sale because I'm a real estate professional and I felt like I should have known better 
But, you know, who can foresee the crash? I didn't know. I didn't know it was going to happen. I'd only been in real estate for a year at the point when we bought that house. So I didn't know that what was coming down the pike. And I'm just glad that we, we were able to get rid of it and not have a foreclosure on our record. Yes, our credit score took a hit. We couldn't buy for another three years, but that was fine because we were planning to move cross country and we weren't going to buy when we got there anyway. It's like, I want to get there and learn my way around before I commit to buying a house. So in the end, it all worked out, but it's been a really great story for me to tell my clients of like, is this going to be a good investment? Is this not going to be a good investment? And we have that whole, that whole conversation of how soon, how long are you going to hold this property? Are you planning on flipping it in like three to five years? If so, maybe it's not the right time for you. Wow. Well, the burned hand teaches best and and a lot of people got in trouble in the Great Recession. So you're you're definitely not alone there. My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? Mm-hmm. To delegate. When when you try to do everything yourself, you just can't scale. You cannot grow your business indefinitely when you're the only one person doing everything. There are only so many hours of the, of the day and eventually you will run out of them and you can't do everything yourself. And then you burn yourself out and you think, oh, this is the worst decision ever. Whereas if we would just trust people to come into our business and help us, it can make such a big deal. So a big difference. When I hire people and I actually give them the tasks and I give them the ownership of this process and I trust them to do it. It may not always work out. They may make mistakes, but they take ownership of it. So they learn from the mistake and then they fix it for the next time around. It changes your whole mindset of, I'm not a solopreneur anymore. I'm not just self-employed where I don't have a boss. I'm the boss, but I'm still, I'm still the employee because I'm doing everything myself. When you transition that mindset of, I'm the CEO of the business and I need to allow people to support me so that I can have these big vision ideas and they can be the ones that execute. That's when things really, really start to take off. And it's super exciting to have this. Like, I never thought I would be a business owner, but I now have, I don't know, probably I had six agents, seven agents that work on my team. I have virtual assistants. I have four employees so it's probably a team of like 15 people all together. I never envisioned that for myself ever. And it's just so exciting because not only does my business thrive, but then I'm able to give these people jobs and the agents who work for me, they have thriving businesses. It's like everybody, what, is it, what do they say? A rising tide lifts all boats. It's pretty amazing. Totally, totally. And I, I love that. I think that's very relevant, not only for business owners, but also for real estate investors in general. Many are tempted to try to buy the property up the street and self-manage it. But are, do we really want to manage properties or do we want to own properties and make passive income, hire property managers, hire people to do the work and all those kinds of things. So I love it. And I want to thank you for joining us today. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch, if they want to find your YouTube channel or anything like that, where can they track you down? You can find me on YouTube. Just search my name. Karen is K-A-R-I-N-C-A-R-R. So it's youtube.com slash Karen Carr. I have tons and tons of videos on there for the real estate community, showing them how you can make YouTube a really amazing funnel of leads to your business. 
And if you wanted to, to attract distressed sellers, for example, having a YouTube channel would be an amazing way to attract people in your local market who wanted to sell and sell fast for cash. And you could start building your own investment portfolio. I think that would be an amazing way. My website is karencar.com. You can always find me there as well. Awesome. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. And while you may not be hearing this on YouTube, we do also have a YouTube channel and maybe following this video, it will be getting even more focused than it has in the past. And maybe I'll have to hire somebody. We'll see. But great conversation. I want to thank you for tuning in right now. I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.